How are you today? Are you good? I have just a couple quick questions for you. Have you ever been uh, hungry? Raise your hand. Hungry? Have you ever been uh, lonely? Sometimes? Yeah. Have you ever been cold? Yeah. Like all winter until like two weeks ago, right? Yeah. Cold. Have you ever been afraid? When I was your age, I lived in a house where instead of the kind of furnace you probably have, ours burned oil, and it actually, you could see the flame in it, and through a grill, like a grate that looked to me like teeth, with orange fire behind the teeth. And it had some kind of an, a, of an electric register and some kind of a, some other thing that looked like weird, funky eyes. And, uh, and then it had uh, pipes going up into the house that looked like gigantic arms. This thing had a face and arms, and, when it, and it growled. When it was on, this monster in my basement, it scared me. Will you guys say, Pastor, it's okay? Thank you. I still have dreams about that thing. And, and I, when we get to heaven, none of that will be a problem. We won't be afraid. We won't be cold. We won't be too hot. We won't be tired. We won't be hungry. It'll all be taken away, and we will have a perfect day every day forever. All because Jesus took away not only our sins, but all the stuff that causes our sins and all the stuff that happens because of our sins. It will all be gone forever in heaven. Can we pray about that? You fold your hands and we'll pray about that. Heavenly Father, you took away all of our sins in Jesus, but you also took away all the results of sin. And all the causes of sin will be gone in heaven, and all of the stuff that happens because of sin will be gone in heaven. Lord, bring us home to heaven. We look forward to it. Until then, let us serve you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the word of God for our meditation is Psalm 145, some of the middle verses. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. My sinfulness, no one can fathom. If you're a parent especially, you understand that one generation passes along its sinfulness to the next. They share in our wicked works. We all covet one another's abundance. We make the Lord's anger rise and grow. And yet he has compassion on us. 
He sent his son to atone for, to cover over the guilt of all of our sins. Jesus died and rose again to show that God had accepted his work for us. We say every Easter, he is risen. And let's respond. He is risen. Hallelujah. Here in our text, we have a song that sings about the greatest of the works of God without naming any of them. And yet, rescue from the burden of sin and from its consequences, its guilt, uh, its shame. There is no greater work than this, even in the creation itself. Because here, God has given us our salvation, the rescue of our souls. And the three chief foundations of this salvation that God has worked are these. And notice that each one is from a different person of the Holy Trinity. Number one, the Father's love has rescued us from our sin because his love set his whole plan of salvation in motion. Of course, Jesus' sacrifice, his crucifixion, atoned for our sin and his resurrection showed that the Father accepted that sacrifice and his Resurrection gives us hope and certainty in our resurrection. And finally, the Holy Spirit works in our lives to bring us to faith, to, bring, uh, to, to sustain our faith through the means of grace, the gospel and word and in the sacrament. And, and he gives us new life and strength and opportunities to serve him. And he lives in us. He lives in your spirit and he lives in your flesh. You are the temple of God the Holy Spirit. Now these foundations are celebrated in this psalm, and especially by David's words, your abundant goodness. Because everything that is good is in our salvation. God the Father's abundant goodness and love that set everything in motion. And David even describes the Lord's own, uh, the, 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 the meaning the Lord gives to his own name as he quotes from Exodus chapter 34 in the eighth verse of, verse of our psalm, when God passed in front of Moses in, on Mount Sinai, the Lord, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. And this was also part of his promise to carry out his grace and compassion in an active way, in a way that can be felt and known to all mankind, the promise of the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus our Lord. Now, most of the verses in our psalm, Psalm 145, which is David's last uh, uh, signed psalm. There might be others after it that are also by David. And there are verses in this psalm that we're not meditating on right now, some of which form many people's table prayer and, and other things. But in these verses, we're especially looking at the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of carrying the gospel into the world through the Word of God and the preaching and teaching of that Word of God. When David says, one generation commends your work to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And this preaching work, spurred on by the Holy Spirit, goes back all the way back in time to the days of Adam and Eve's, well, the birth of Adam and Eve's grandson. 
One of their later children, when Eve at 130 was still having babies, and they had given birth to Seth. And about a century later, when Adam and Eve still had a long life ahead of them, Adam lived almost a thousand years, but at only 200, there were some of their descendants around. And this is at a time when Adam and Eve could probably have named and numbered and set names to faces of the entire human race. But some of their descendants had already begun to wander away from the faith. And so Seth understood that he needed to start preaching and proclaiming the Word of God. And he began to do this at that time. And we're told that men like Seth began to preach and teach and to call on the name of the Lord. But from Seth, at the end of Genesis 4, to the last four chapters of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the message remained unchanged. The descendant of Eve was still to come to crush the serpent's head, to destroy his wicked work and power, his power in death, his power in sin, his power even in temptation. Year after year, that message was preached, was heard by all embraced by just a few, rejected by more and more. Years became generations. Generations became centuries. Centuries became millennia as thousands of years passed. And then one day, imagine you're out in the field working, you're just on your way into town for something, and somebody comes and says, we've heard about the Messiah. He's been up in Galilee preaching now for at least two summers. And you're struck by that. And somebody else says, well, you know, I heard that he's just across the Jordan. He's on his way here. And then somebody comes over and says, no. No, the Romans got him. They killed him. They crucified him. That was a month ago. Just as you thought you were about to hear or see the Christ himself. He's been dead a month. Why couldn't I have heard? And then someone else speaks up. Well, you know what I heard? People have been seeing him. It, some women saw him out of the grave three days after he had died. And his disciples have been seeing him. And he's, he's appeared to his brothers. And, and then a, a little while ago I heard... 500 people at once saw him all at the same time. He has risen in the flesh from the grave. You know, in ancient times, oh, Moses, Abraham, Job, David, the prophets, they all preach and teach uh, the resurrection of the flesh. Not like the Roman and Greek idea that you had to get rid of the body, that the flesh is evil and there's only the spirit that somehow lives on. And not the, the Eastern idea of reincarnation that's in practically every single video game today. Um, we, we have to correct this teaching catechism class because the kids have only heard, especially our public school kids, have only heard about reincarnation and not about the physical resurrection. But it's the resurrection of the flesh that the Bible teaches. This flesh, this person, rises from the dead. And David speaks of this, the, the, this idea of hearing about it. 
And I know about God's works, but this just outdoes them all when he says they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And then he says, and I will meditate. You don't always have to speak up every time there's a silence in the conversation. They've spoken of his glorious majesty. And David just wants to put that together. Let's think about that. Let's catalog that. Let's meditate on that. The blessing of, of salvation, of the resurrection. When our bodies will be spiritual. Now they'll be flesh in the resurrection. But what I mean by spiritual is that they will no longer be ruled by carnal, fleshly desires. We will be governed and motivated in this flesh entirely by God's will and under God's good pleasure. Never stepping out of line. If there's something in heaven that you want to do, God will smile upon that because it will only be within His will. Our bodies will be free from suffering, like we talked about with the children. No more pain or cold or disease or suffering or sorrow or regret. Free from all of it. And also the internal mental, emotional sufferings we go through of any kind at all. We will also have the blessing of what I read in one dogmatician, uh, uh, an, an ancient uh, theological professor of of the Lutheran Church who called it perfect beauty, which means the lack of, of, of any flaw, the, the absence of every defect. Just as in the, in the great wedding psalm of the Bible, Psalm 45, the husband is commanded to, to put on splendor and majesty, but so also God will clothe us with splendor and majesty, no defect. You will be the ideal you even in your own eyes, which might be the most critical of all. And what does the resurrection rescue us from? We've already talked about our sinfulness. If I can borrow some words, our sinfulness that is so wide and so long and so high and so deep that only God can fathom its extremes and its limits. The ripples and the aftershocks and the resonance of our sinfulness that, that continues long after we leave a place, long after we say goodbye to a person, long after we even leave this world in death, our sin continues to vibrate and to shake things up and to hurt people. But all of sin's consequences and results will be wiped away in the resurrection. No embarrassment, no shame, no doubt, no temptation. Only bliss. The great work of the Lord our God was to conquer sin remove its results, including death. The world has begun to worship science. And science has begun to stick its fingers into areas where 
science has no business going. And so science wants to tell the world, wants to talk us into believing that, that, that death itself is, is the end, that a dead man is as dead as a rotten banana, is as gross as that one grape in the middle of the bunch that you just, you don't even want to touch to throw it away. I usually use a fork. You stick your hand into a bag of apples and there's one in there that's brown and soft and did my finger just go all the way through something and you just don't want that to have happened. You just say, I wish that wouldn't have happened. Maybe you put it a different way. But no, the resurrection of our flesh will not just make us fresh again as if none of that had ever happened to us, but will make us What's even the word? Christ has risen and shown that, that the resurrection is not just a matter of, of being better, but of being a of the best. We will be as God intended us and created us to be in the beginning. When God said, good. When God says a thing is good, Consider what he means it is not. He means that there is nothing bad or corrupt or unfortunate of any, in any way. What is good in God's eyes is beyond our ability to describe even as perfection. This is the blessing of the resurrection of the dead. We will have life with God. The forgiveness of our sins the obliteration of all of the cares and concerns, the results, the causes of sin and its temptation, and reunion with one another. In the last morning of Martin Luther's life, he was at the table with friends, and they asked him, writing down everything he ever said as they did, can you imagine someone writing down everything you ever said? Uh, but they asked him, will we know each other in heaven? And Luther said, well, think of Adam when he woke up from that sleep. And he saw for the first time in his life a person, another person. There had never been one before. And it was, sorry, the pain in my side. Actually, there wasn't. That's something we don't think about in that story. But uh, she was a woman. He had never seen a woman before. And he knew her. He knew, this is my wife. This is my Eve. And the first thing Adam ever said, besides naming critters, giraffe, elephant, alligator, was, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. We will know each other like that in heaven. When we awake from death, we will know everyone in joyful, intimate, everlasting companionship when Christ raises us from the dead. Amen. I would like to share also this one thought about our stewardship. Um, this morning, focusing on our stewardship of time. 
Every day you take time to, to, to pray, to take time to read God's Word, to study God's Word, to think about it in some way. At some point, once, once a week, or maybe once a day, think to yourself, if I meet someone who wants to know about my faith, what would I say? If you already know exactly what you would say, God bless you. Um, I sometimes, even after as many years as I've been in the ministry, get tongue-tied once in a while. But if you need a place to start, maybe start with the creed or the Lord's Prayer. And just let your, your old Sunday school faith carry you through. Trust that the Holy Spirit will give you what to say.